0: it's november 2nd i'm brian dean wright former cia operations officer and this is the right report hey good day to you ladies and gentlemen welcome to the right report your daily news podcast i've got two big briefs for you this morning that are shaping america and the world. First up, there is a fight on Capitol Hill today. Congress is debating how much more money we should offer up as foreign aid to Israel and Ukraine. I've got the details coming up with a thought experiment of what you would do if you were a senator or a representative that had to make the call. Second, we are going to go around America this morning looking at education with developments in Florida and California, plus the national movement for homeschooling, And when we're done, I think you will see why you have so much more power to change your communities than you probably imagine. Later, a listener question today from Roger in Alabama with a friendly challenge to me. He wanted an example of news that I have covered that I probably wouldn't have if I worked for a corporate media outlet. And I got one. It has to do with American Muslims and Donald Trump. Ah, it's good. But first, let's get to our top story of the morning. My goodness, we have a big fight today. Yeah, on Capitol Hill, the new U.S. House Speaker, Mike Johnson, plans to push for a vote on a new funding bill for foreign aid, namely for Israel. But that is leading to a fight in Washington, D.C. between, well, everybody, Republicans versus Democrats and the Senate versus the House. Also, Congress versus the White House. So each of these groups wants a different kind of bill with funding for places like Ukraine or things like the border or Taiwan or a bunch of other goodies. So we are going to dig into this fight this morning. But before we get to the news and all this debate, let's do something fun. Let's have ourselves a thought experiment. I want you to imagine that you recently ran to become a U.S. senator or representative for your state, and you won. Well, now your goal is to serve the people, to do their bidding as their voice in Washington, D.C., so, imagining that we are sitting at our offices with our big old mahogany desks and we're sitting with our staffs, well, we've got this bill from Speaker Johnson in front of us and we've got to decide how to vote. Now, to help us do that, there are a couple of pretty big questions for us to think about before we get to that point of voting. First, let's ask ourselves should the U.S. government issue more debt, just generally speaking? And if so, how much? Now, that is very important because as listeners know, we are running a record $2 trillion annual deficit that has led to a record $33 trillion national debt, which means that we are making record interest payments on all of that debt, which in turn is causing alarm amongst a whole bunch of economists and nonpartisan budget modelers who are saying that we are headed towards a financial calamity. So that is question number one for us to consider. Second, if we do issue more debt, what should we spend it on? Should we send it abroad to other countries, especially those at war like Israel or Ukraine or others? Or instead, should we spend it domestically on things like the US Southern border or crime or homelessness? In other words, what should our priorities be and why? Well, those are the big picture questions for our thought experiment this morning. And with those questions in the back of our minds, let me give you the latest news to consider. Speaker Johnson announced earlier this week that he will hold a vote today for a bill that would give Israel $14 billion in cash and war material. And he would pay for it in part by cutting the budget for the IRS. But his bill has been declared dead on arrival by the U.S. Senate, a couple of their leaders, both Republicans and Democrats. Plus, the White House too. Joe Biden has promised to veto it. And that is because all of those politicians want a different bill. It's the one more or less that was announced previously by the White House. It's a hundred and six billion dollar plan that would deficit spend a whole bunch of money for Israel, Ukraine, uh, the U.S. southern border, Taiwan and a bunch of other little goodies. Now, Speaker Johnson says that that $106 billion plan is just too much money on the wrong priorities and it blows out the debt. In turn, all those opponents argued that the deficit and the debt aren't really that big of a deal or OK, maybe a little bit. But we've just got to support these countries and their foreign wars. They are a very important national security concern or priorities. Now, they are also criticizing Speaker Johnson this morning because his bill, you know, cuts the IRS budget. Well, that could mean that the U.S. government might ultimately collect less tax revenue, and that would probably blow out the debt problem and make it a bunch worse. For what it's worth, Mr. Johnson, the Speaker, is saying that's not true. They don't. He does not agree with the, the budget crunchers this morning, but there you are. Meanwhile, we've got another set of fights to talk about. Speaker Johnson is also in a series of scuffles with a different group, his fellow Republican House members. These rebels, as it were, demand that, well, they want a bill, but it only will have money for the U.S. southern border. No foreign stuff. And there are yet others that say they don't want any more spending at all for anybody or anything, all because of that debt issue. For what it's worth, this number of Republican rebels who don't want more spending? Well, it's not small. It's around 100 members, give or take. Now, I should note that the opposition amongst those 100 is especially strong for any more money for Ukraine. And here's their argument. Kiev, they say, has already gotten over $100 billion of U.S. cash for their war against Russia, and it's turned out to be a bloody stalemate. In fact, they would point to European officials who have said that this war could go on for another six or seven years or more. So the argument goes, let's stop the funding right now. They also argue that Ukraine is deeply corrupt, with officials in Kiev recently admitting that, yes, in fact, corruption remains a profound problem at the most senior levels of President Volodymyr Zelensky's government. More on that in a minute. But nevertheless, Most U.S. Senators and the Biden White House, they aren't moved by these concerns about Ukraine. In fact, all this week, the White House has rushed in senior officials from the Pentagon, the State Department and others all heading to Capitol Hill and all with some pretty dire warnings saying that if Congress doesn't give Kiev more money, the war is lost. In fact, here's how the Secretary of Defense put it just this week. Quote, if we pull the rug out from under the Ukrainians now, Vladimir Putin will only get stronger and he will be successful in doing whatever it is he wants to do, end quote. And that is exactly the sentiment that has been expressed by Ukraine's government as well. In fact, an official from Kiev was in Washington, D.C. just last week to shore up support from Congress. And he said that, quote, it's not just war in Ukraine that we are experiencing. It is genocide. We definitely know that Russia will not stop in Ukraine. If Ukraine were to fall, The Russians will continue, end quote. All right. So getting back to our thought experiment, imagining that you are a senator or representative behind that big desk weighing what to do, we should probably now consider what your constituents want. Seems like that's an important thing to do in a Democratic Republic like ours. So let's talk about polls. A recent poll from Reuters News Service shows that the number one issue that voters are concerned about is the economy. Second is illegal migration and the border. And third is crime. Meanwhile, international affairs, those are at the bottom of the list of concerns held by U.S. voters. At least that's based on polling from Statista and the Pew Research Center. Finally, more polling from the folks at Pew. It shows that 57 percent of your constituents are worried about the national debt and deficit. That is a priority that is higher than international affairs. But if we are to fund foreign issues or affairs, there's a pretty clear indicator of what voters want or don't. Indeed, most polling shows a pretty dramatic drop in support for sending any more aid to Ukraine. Indeed, a a CNN poll shows that a majority of Americans say no more. Now, as for Israel, Americans are largely supportive of aid Although the polling numbers are a little bit early and a little bit hazy to make a high confidence determination of the strength of that support. So imagining once again that we are those senators or representative, I've got one more thing for you. I've got an intel brief. Now we have to be a little bit creative here since we are not in a secure environment. So we're going to keep this unclassified, but with a nod towards some more sensitive information. So let's start with intel report number one. On Tuesday, Time magazine put out an article on Ukraine and President Zelensky. Their reporters followed the president during his recent trip to D.C. and then back with him to Kiev for a couple weeks thereafter. These folks interviewed loads of senior Ukrainian officials and Zelensky himself. And what they found was pretty stark. They discovered a President Zelensky that is detached from the terrible shape that his military is in. Indeed, they they cited an example of his office directing his troops to go on the offensive in eastern Ukraine, but there were no troops to fight. They were all dead or injured, at least in one particular area. Meanwhile, the pool of Ukrainian fighters is down and frankly out. Uh, Time magazine cited some pretty stark numbers and anecdotes of recruitment numbers that are down precipitously, actually, and that draft dodging is increasingly common. Plus, corruption is rife in both the military and civilian leadership. To the former, the military, those guys responsible for bringing in new recruits are accepting bribes to give medical deferments. On the civilian side, Zelensky's government has a major corruption problem, too. For example, the Time Magazine reporter asked a Zelensky aide about corruption just broadly in the government, not just in the military. And the reporter asked the question, assuming that because Zelensky had recently announced some anti-corruption efforts in his government, that should clean things up a bit, or at least uh, the Ukrainian officials would be very afraid to steal stuff and get caught. To which Zelensky's aide told the reporter to shut off his recorder. And then this man leaned in and said to the reporter, quote, Simon, you are mistaken. People are stealing like there is no tomorrow, end quote. And I emphasize, these folks in Ukraine are stealing part of the $100 billion of your taxpayer aid. So that is intel number one. Let's talk about intel number two. The prime minister of Italy, Giorgia Maloney, was recently on a phone call that she thought was private but it was secretly being recorded. And here is what she said about the war in Ukraine. Quote, we are near the moment in which everybody understands that we need a way out of this war, end quote. And she said that because we have a stalemate in Ukraine with a prospect of years more of this same stalemate. And that, she assesses, will drain the budgets of both Western countries and Frankly, the blood of the bodies of young men on the battlefield in Ukraine. So we need a peace deal. Now, Ms. Maloney was not arguing that, let's say, Russia or Putin are the good guys. They're not. But what uh, Prime Minister Maloney is saying is that we got to open our eyes. We have to be honest about what's happening and find a way towards a peace deal. In other words, the $61 billion in aid that is being debated right now on the Capitol Hill, well, that's not going to change the course or the direction of this war. Okay. So back to our thought experiment, Senator, you now have bills in front of you and some decisions to make with now some fresh intel. You also have a whole bunch of people who are screaming in your ears on what to do to include and most especially your constituents. So what would you do? Well, let's talk about that. Pivoting now from the facts and data to analysis and opinion. And to do this, I'm going to act as your chief of staff, giving you some counsel, but ultimately deferring to you on what you and America should do. So let's start with this. Back on October 20th, I encouraged us to think about priorities and basing those national priorities on what the people want. Because again, that is the whole point of a democratic republic. So based on an avalanche of polling, the people of this country want its government to focus on the economy, crime, and illegal migration. So logically, our greatest priority should be on one or all three of those things. so for today's debate with Speaker Johnson's bill, I would recommend that we demand that we focus our funding at least on the southern border. And just to underline the point of why that is true, recall a poll by the media outlet NPR. It found that a majority of Americans believe that the southern border has collapsed and we are calling it an invasion. Meanwhile, earlier this week, the FBI said that the terror threat in this country has not been as bad as it is in years. Third, the White House admitted this week that they have no idea how many terrorists have come over that border. So if we are being invaded, by potential terrorists, but who knows, because we have been overwhelmed. Well, you put that stuff together, and holy smokes, that should be the number one priority of this country and this government, just logically. Now, when it comes to international issues, as a former CIA officer, I would encourage us to prioritize our money based on threats, right? The most serious threat, well, that should get the most money and attention. And for America, that threat is hands down China. Now that does not mean that Israel should not get aid or should not get money or even Ukraine necessarily or any other country. But we have to prioritize because we cannot keep printing money like a bunch of drunken Marines in Vegas with all due respect to my Marines. So that would be my counsel to you in this thought experiment this morning. But now let's pull ourselves out of that thought experiment and come back to the real world. So putting all this together, let's think about two things. First and foremost, good and reasonable people can disagree on this. Second, if you feel strongly about these issues, whatever your priorities or whatever your beliefs, folks, now is the time to speak up and you know how to do it. Just go to house.gov or senate.gov, look up your uh, elected representatives and start calling, start sending emails. And if you've got kids or grandkids or nieces or nephews, what a great way to get them involved in their government. Have them listen to this brief with you and and make some righteous, informed demands of your policymakers. You can tell them that Brian said to get out there and make a little bit of noise because the time is now. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. For subscribers listening at rightreport.substack.com, my goodness, thank you so much. Meanwhile, for my other loyal listeners, an equal thanks, and we'll be right back. welcome back to the right report let's continue with our news this morning with a pivot towards one very important topic and that is education so we've got three different sets of news to talk about regarding america's education and your role in it whether or not you even have kids so we start with news from california the governor there democrat gavin newsom signed a bill a couple weeks ago that prevents schools from suspending kids who break the rules Specifically, kids can no longer be kicked out of class for violating things like the dress codes or talking back to teachers or using their cell phones in a class. The same is true of tardiness or truancy. Kids must remain in the classroom irrespective of that behavior. It's all part of a new law that was championed by a Democrat lawmaker from Berkeley, California, named Nancy Skinner. And her argument was that black and Hispanic kids are deeply harmed by these suspension policies because it increases their dropout rates. As she said, quote, instead of kicking them out of school, we owe it to the students to figure out what is causing them to act out and help them fix it. They need to be in school where teachers and counselors can help them succeed, end quote. Now, I should note that educators in California can still suspend kids for more serious behavior like violence or drugs, especially, but not if they are simply being disruptive in the classroom. Now, interestingly, this same bill or one very similar to it came up over 10 years ago, and the governor at the time, Jerry Brown, he vetoed it, saying that teachers and school officials should be able to retain discretion to handle their classrooms, not the folks in Sacramento. Well, no longer. So that is the latest out of California and our first piece of educational news. Let's now go to Florida, where they are taking a slightly different approach with kids and perhaps the greatest nemesis of modern teaching, and that's cell phones. So last May, the Republican legislature in uh, Florida passed a law requiring public school districts to bar student cell phone use during class time. Some districts in Florida went even further and banned cell phones from all school grounds, at least during the school day. Well, the ban took effect a couple of months ago, and the darndest things started to happen. At first, some students and even some parents, they just refused to comply. And school officials started to seize cell phones in Timber Creek, Florida, for example. On the very first day, they took over 100 cell phones from the kids. And then starting day two, things started to change. Cyberbullying, for instance, that went down. That's because there were fewer TikTok videos or Snapchats of kids fighting in the hallways. Also, no more blasting out Instagram posts saying that somebody was ugly or fat, at least at school. Then, students started looking up, not down, at their phones. They started to make eye contact with their teachers and each other. And as the educators in Florida said, they started then to change the classroom. Kids became more engaged with their learning, less distracted. Meanwhile, violators of the phone rules, they can and have been suspended from school, and much to the consternation of kids and parents. And that is why some students say that these cell phone bans uh, makes them feel like they're in prison. In fact, as one student highlighted, if they now want to call their parents, they don't have their cell phone. They have to go to the front office and ask for permission to use the phone. And that feels like a prison. Yes, my goodness, that sounds awful and exactly like prison. So that is news number two from the fine state of Florida this morning. And that takes us to story number three on America's education. And here it is. Some parents are just done with public schools altogether. And that is why the homeschool movement is taken off like a rocket ship. An analysis by the Washington Post this week found that homeschooling has surged all across America, or or as they said, quote, homeschooling's popularity crosses every measurable line of politics, geography, and demographics, end quote. Indeed, they cited some pretty jaw-dropping increases in homeschooling over the past six years, with homeschooling up in California by 78% in D.C. It's up 108% new york up 103 percent. folks name the state and in virtually every single case the number of homeschoolers is up by double digits and these numbers by the way they outpace increases in private school attendance that was up only by seven percent nationally all the while public schools have dropped in attendance by an average of four percent nationally Now, I should note that there have been some concerns expressed about this, certainly by organizations like the Coalition for Responsible Home Education. They argue that perhaps these homeschooled kids are not being properly taught by moms or dads or their tutors. In fact, they're not properly tested or measured. And that, they say, could be disastrous for the nation, certainly in the long term. Now, as you would imagine, homeschooling moms and dads, they challenge that fear and concern both they and the washington post highlighted something called parent co-ops those organized standardized curriculum and extracurricular activities like sports and theater by the way if you're wondering what might be fueling this dramatic increase nationally in homeschooling a recent survey of parents showed that well they were driven by a concern of bullying second school violence and third just the overall quality of education especially what they said was the intrusion of politics into their child's education. So there you have it, folks. Three pieces of news for us this morning about education in America. Coming to us first out of California with banning suspensions. Then we went to Florida talking about banning cell phones. And then nationally, this swing of homeschooling is up big time. So with those facts and data in mind, let me offer you my analysis and opinion. So as I read and researched this, one thing kept coming back to me. You all, we all have so much power, more than likely most of us know. So let's just look at Florida. The state legislature there changed a law about cell phones in the classroom, and that changed lives because of it, right? The future of the state changed, really, and one could argue the future of the country. And those state legislators that changed so much, they live in your community, maybe even on your block. And that is fantastic news. You can reach out to them. You can fundraise for them if they're doing a great job. Or if not, you can run for office yourself. In other words, folks, when we talk about so many problems in this country, it can feel like none of it is in our control to do much about it. But these pieces of news about education, they are a reminder that that's just not necessarily true. There is power right? When you take over school boards or mayor's offices, city councils, DA's offices, and yes, state legislatures, and if you add up that local and state control, then you, yes, you, could impact not just education in your hometown, but gosh, so many other issues too. So that's why this news about education, well, it's really news about reasserting control over America and our future. So today, If you want, take a break from all the bad stuff and really reflect, say, with friends, family, uh, fellow church members, bowling buddies, whatever, and ask yourselves, what can we do locally to fix this place up? Because you have power to change things. And that, I think, is very good news. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I got one more thing before I let you go. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. It is a listener question sent to us from one of my paid subscribers at rightreport.substack.com. Roger in Alabama, somewhere in that great state, he wrote in after I mentioned yesterday that, well, being an independent voice in news, I can cover and talk about current events in ways that I probably couldn't if I worked for a corporate media outlet. And Roger had a very great and friendly challenge. He said, Brian, give me an example. All right, Roger, here you go. So back on October 23rd, I shared with you all a poll that found this. A strong majority of American Muslims horrifically and sadly support the terror group Hamas. So as I mentioned, here are the numbers to that shocking poll. 57.5% of American Muslims say that Hamas was justified in their terror attacks in Israel. Meanwhile, 42.5% were in absolute disagreement. They said that Hamas was ultimately bad. Their ideology was awful. So it's been about a week since that poll came out. And I was initially convinced that it would get a ton of press because that's a pretty shocking set of numbers that offers a pretty shocking conclusion. When you pencil out the numbers, it means that America has over 2 million Muslims in this nation that, well, they they admitted that they support terror or at least a radical Islamic ideology, and that's a big deal. But you wouldn't know it from American media, because I've yet to see a single piece of any mainstream outlet in this country talking about this poll and the implications. Neither a liberal outlet or even a conservative outlet, It's, it's just been radio silence but I think I know why, and I suspect you do too. It's because this poll is politically incorrect to talk about. It is awkward. It is uncomfortable. And to be fair, it is a challenge to talk about this in a thoughtful way that doesn't lead to to bigotry or violence or tropes of, against or about Muslims. But it can be done and i'm proud to have done it if i may sharing with you back on october 23rd that there are some really good news in this poll and that is that 40 percent which is around two and a half million muslims they've got it right they said that hamas is bad and their ideology is evil right and my counsel to you all is that as a nation we need to uplift and and celebrate and amplify that 40 percent of american muslims that want to take back their faith from the 60% that, frankly, have no place in this American family. So that is what nobody in mainstream or corporate press will touch. But I can, and I did, and I will. Because I can afford to be fearless with facts and data, but only, frankly, when I have paid subscribers or folks who have donated via Stripe. Now, Roger, since we're celebrating our independent spirits, I wanted to give you another poll it is again about america's muslims but this one has a tie-in with donald trump so two days ago writers news service published the results of a poll that asked american muslims a bunch of questions about politics and 60 percent of them said that while they supported joe biden before the the terror attacks in israel only 14 percent do now but donald trump he gets 40% support from Muslim Americans, and that is up five percentage points from 2020. So let me just say that again. Before the Israeli terror attacks, we had a 60-40 split in the American Muslim community with 60% in support of Biden and 40% in support of Trump. Now that, and those numbers, that is virtually the same percentage or, or split as the poll that nobody wants to talk about with 60% in favor of Hamas and 40% opposed. In other words, if I could make an, an analytical jump here, the Muslims who love this country and hate terror, they support Trump. And the others, you know, the ones who support Hamas, they wanted Biden until he started to support Israel. And I say this, ladies and gentlemen, irrespective of whether anybody likes Trump, truly, he's actually not the point here. It's that these American Muslims, they love this country and their faith, and they hate what extremists are doing to both. So they're looking to the guy or the party or the movement who will help them do that. And they think that Trump or Republicans or America first are it. And to me, that's good news, or at least it's really interesting and worth talking about and debating. And that's the point again, Roger. We need to be fearless and brave, right? And I'm going to do that so long as I've got you all with me. Folks, if you would like me to answer one of your questions on the podcast, just like I did with Mr. Roger, it is easy to do. Either donate via my Stripe account, which you will find a link for in the show notes. Just make sure you leave your email and I'll be in touch. Otherwise, go to rightreport.substack.com. Sign up and at the bottom of each day's Substack post, You can leave me a comment or ask me a question. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. Good day.